Practical instruction for practically everything. That's the, the title of the sermon series we're in now. If you've uh, attended the Graceworks for any amount of time, you know we like to preach straight through the book uh, and, and any book that we decide to preach on. And Proverbs is a little bit different because the way that the, the writer laid it out, it's one statement after another, not always necessarily uh, associated with the verse or the statement prior, and it may be talked about again in another chapter. And so as we looked at an opportunity to, to invest as a church at some time in the book of Proverbs, we thought to ourselves, why don't we do it a little more topical? Uh, and there's nothing wrong with topical preaching. It's just not the way we normally do it here. And, and so this time we thought, well, why don't we, why don't we have kind of an introduction, which David did a couple of weeks ago, uh, and then go into a few different topics. And so the first two topics were kind of focusing in on family. Uh, and again, remember that any of these proverbs, even if it's, uh, uh, instruction towards a, let's say a married couple, there are things that we can all, no matter what situation in life you're in, glean from those. And so today, last week we looked at marriage, and my encouragement was no matter if you're single and on this side of marriage, if you're married, or if you're on the other side of marriage, um, you know, maybe a spouse has passed away, or divorced, or whatever that might be, there are still principles that we need to pull from this. There's good stuff in here. And so my encouragement to you today is the same thing. Part B, or the second part of kind of that familial unit, is today we're going to be looking at parenting. And you may say, well, I don't have any kids. I'm not going to have kids. Or, or like John, hey, I'm 13. I'm a ways away from kids. There are still some incredible principles that we can pull from this. Okay? So if you guys are willing to do that with me today, we will dive in to God's word, into the Proverbs here, uh, and look at some principles. Although it's from parents to children, and the best way to kind of help grow your kids into the, the people that they should become, followers of Jesus Christ, right? Discipleship, discipline, all those things come through the parenting relationship. There are a lot of things that even if you're not in that situation right now, that'll be applicable for you today. So I hope you know that. I hope that you know that we value you for where you're at in your walk. But like last week, we looked at marriage. This week, we're going to be looking at parenting. And in the future, let's say uh, uh, in a few weeks, we're going to look at money. You may say, well, I don't have any. I don't need to show up that Sunday. No, doesn't matter if you have a little or a lot. There's still principles for you. And so today would be the same thing. So let's dive into this. And we're going to look at what does the book of Proverbs have to say about parenting? And what can God teach us through these wisdom writings that we, uh, that we have collected in this book? And so parenting matters. We know that if you were to sit down and read through the book of Proverbs, uh, there's 31 chapters. You can read that through in a month, one chapter per month. And if you were to do that, if you were to read through it, you would see that there are a lot of parenting, uh, tidbits that are given. There's a lot of wisdom being pushed in that way. And, and as parents, uh, oh, I'll just speak for myself. One of, I know that when I'm looking at my life outside of everything that's going on, outside of where I am, uh, in particular in my own walk, uh, and, and the seasons that we have, the roller coaster ride that following Jesus Christ can be like, I know that my highest calling is to know Jesus and to make him known. I didn't make that up. It's a statement that's been said before, but it makes a lot of sense. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior, you are here to know God and to make him known, right? And so I could ask myself, based on that thought, that process, who am I to make him known to, right? Well, my family is my number one priority. Mark Miller, husband of Gwen, father of Noah, Ethan, Abby, and Cole, right? My number one priority in life is to get to know Jesus and to be able to uh, uh, be a dad and a husband that makes him known to his family. Then my friends, then my coworkers, the world, right? I mean, that's the way it should be. So we can't reserve ourselves just for our friends or our coworkers, our neighbors, 
the world, we need to start with our family. Every child's future is filled with possibility. And we as parents must recognize this, right? Our our children are going to be looking to us, whether or not they know it, to see how to grow, where they need to grow. And it should be our goal to direct our children towards godliness, Now, I think in saying that, I don't think there's too many people sitting out here that would disagree with me on that. But what does that look like, right? What distracts you and I from that goal? If that's our goal, to help our children grow in godliness, get to know God through the Bible, through Jesus Christ, his son who was sent for us uh, to be the savior of our our, our soul, our rebellious, sinful soul, we want to teach our children what distracts us from that. And, and there, these aren't like, you know, deep insights that I've had. These are, we are a people who our lives are so busy. We allow ourselves to get so distracted from everything with everything. So things that popped in my mind were like work. Again, there's nothing wrong with work. I'm not telling you not to work, but work can't distract you from what your goal is. Know God, make him known, right? Okay, so work, let's say. How about hobbies? Again, I'm not going to knock on anybody's hobbies. I have hobbies. We Hopefully we all have hobbies. Hobbies are healthy. But if they distract you from your goal of raising your children, we may need to rethink that through. How about sleep? Some of us get home from work and we want to sit on the couch because we know I can fall asleep and it's looked down on a little less than if I actually just went upstairs and crawled into bed, right? And and so sleep sometimes could be a distraction. How about money? Some of us, if we're not at work making money, we're at home strategizing how we can make more money, right? And our children are playing quietly in the next room, right? Ministry. Wow. Okay. Thinking of that one. Uh, processing that this week, it does mean no good to have a ministry here in DuPont with Pastor Dave if I fail to raise my own children to know and to love God, right? So all of these things in and of themselves, none of them are wrong or none of them are bad, but they can be distractions and we need to know that. So we're going to be looking at various Proverbs again today. Uh, and, and as we do, let's together be challenged To do this, to be a good parent, right? To raise our kids in three different ways. And the first way is to model well. So if you're taking notes today, you can write down model well. You are a model. Go ahead and grab your phone if you want to. Put it on selfie mode. Take a look at your face. You are a model, right? I don't know if anybody else here has been called to modeling, Anybody want to share that? I mean, you don't have to, even if it's true, right? Are you guys models? Any of you? Well, I would say we all are our models. When I was in high school, I don't know, for people that have lived around here, I know we have a lot of military people, so coming and going, but I know of a few people who have been here as long as I have. I was born and raised up there in Oak Brook, Lakewood area, that sort of thing. Uh, went away for college, but came back here. At the time, over there in Lakewood, where the town center is, there used to be a Lakewood Mall. Okay, that's where I went with my friends on the weekends. We hung out, we shopped there, and we were approached, a group of my friends and I were approached by a department store that was there, Gotch Jocks. Does anybody remember that store, Gotch Jocks? I see one hand here in the middle. That is two. Okay, very few of you remember, but Gotch Jocks employed me and a couple of my friends to do still modeling. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Thank goodness, back in the late 80s, early 90s, nobody had cell phones, so nobody was taking pictures and recording this. Uh, I do vaguely remember my mom having taken a picture, but I think I've successfully destroyed it and the slides, so they can't even be made again, right? The the actual film. But they, they, they put us into clothing, they gave us clothing to wear, and then we would stand as still as we could... And then they taught you how to then kind of transform into a different position. And you would literally go out there and do this for like a half hour at a time, have a little 10-minute break, go back out. It was during the holiday season, and they paid me with clothes. I mean, what a great deal, right? My mom and dad weren't going to buy me all the new clothes that I wanted, so this was a way for me to get some new clothes, right? I was a model, right, to get some clothing, 
right? So I wasn't the greatest looking. I'm not saying that I was a model that could have modeled anywhere else, but it worked for a season for us. And and some of you sitting out there would say, I would never model. I wouldn't have even done that, Mark. There's no way you could get me up on a little stage. It was about this high in the middle of the mall as people were walking up and down. There was signage for the stores, and then we would show off the clothing. But I would argue, friends, today, right now, you are modeling. And this is applicable to even those of you who are kids or who don't have kids yet or are already past having the kids and they've already grown and left the house. You are still a model. People are looking to you. It is the same in the spiritual realm. People look at you and modeling what wisdom looks like in your life is very important. The second one we're going to get to is instruction. That's important. But right now we're talking about modeling. People see what you do and they are influenced by that, right? Everybody is looking at you in the way that you live, especially when they know mom or dad are a Christian. And I'm trying as a child to figure out what that is. They're looking at you to see how you act and how you respond. Your coworkers, if they find out you go to church, they're watching you now. Well, what does this mean? Are you gonna, are you gonna be just really, uh, skeptical of everything that I do and say? And how does your life stack up to mine? Because they just don't understand. So you're modeling Christianity. You're modeling Jesus Christ to those coworkers, neighbors, friends, et cetera, et cetera. So now that we know what we're looking at, the modeling aspect of Proverbs, um, let's look at Proverbs, did I go to, oh no, I'm good. Proverbs 20 verse 7, Proverbs 20 verse 7 is where we're going to start. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. You can be a blessing for your children as you are righteous and walk in integrity, Okay. To be righteous is to believe in Jesus Christ. To walk in integrity is to have the walk that matches the talk. Righteousness, although we don't feel like it often, especially if we've been stumbling around and sinning and, 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 and not doing the things that we know we should be doing, sometimes feels like it's way out there. Something I'm grasping for, reaching for, striving after, but I can never catch it. And yet if you look at the whole of scripture, it will tell you that you are righteous at the point of salvation. If you were to die... After you place your faith in Jesus Christ, God the Father would see you righteous, not because of anything you have done, but because what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Amen? Amen. So we are righteous. To be righteous, believing in Jesus Christ, righteousness comes from salvation. His righteousness imputed to you, but the integrity part is living the life that we've been called to live. Matching that talk or the walk to the talk. We, we need to have a thriving relationship with Jesus Christ, right? That will bless your children. We need to model things to our kids. We need to model the way we pray. Okay, the, our, our kids are looking to us. It doesn't mean we need to be eloquent in speech. It doesn't need to mean we need to do it perfectly, but we need to model what true prayer looks like. And if you are still growing in that area, bring them along with you as you grow. You don't have to have it all figured out before they do, right? Bring them along with you. The second, so modeling what it looks like to prayer. The second thing that I, I wrote down was reading God's word. We need to model that to our children. Now, it can be reading to them at bedtime. Awesome, right? We had seasons of that. Um, and just so you guys know, my, my children, my baby t- uh, today, he was back there running the soundboard. He just turned 18, right? And I got four kids, so it's 18 to, oh, Noah, forgive me, 24, almost 25, right? Or 24, right? So I got four kids in there. They're all these young adults. It's really, really cool. So I'm speaking out of uh, what my experiences have been, and I'm going to speak about some of my failures today, 
and, and try to just be, you know, up, up front and honest about things that we kind of feel we succeeded in by the grace of God, but also things that we failed in, and that's okay. But one of the things that we need to do is show our children what it looks like to pray. Talk about why it's important to pray. Model that to our children, right? The second thing I wrote down was read God's word. Now, my dad was a, a teacher at Mount Tahoma High School for 30 years, right? And, and I remember getting up in the morning and seeing my dad out in the chair by the fireplace reading God's word. He wasn't necessarily reading it to me right then, but I saw the importance of God's word in his life being modeled to me. That makes a difference. That's a memory that this old 48-year-old brain has of my dad from 35 40 years ago, reading God's word and the importance that it was to him. Going to church, another thing that we can model. There are weekends where I don't want to get out of bed on a Sunday morning, right? I, I'm tired. I'm, I, I know what the week ahead of me is going to look like. And yet the importance of going to church, not to check a box, but because of what can be gained and also what can be given when you're here right? You're going to pray. You're going to sing. You're going to hear God's word preach. You're going to have an opportunity to volunteer setting up or tearing down when you're a mobile church, working in kids ministry, or being a friend to somebody here that needs it. You might have a word of encouragement. It's important to go to church, not because we want numbers here, but because we truly believe that God grows us through community. So even if it's tough to get up, even if it's a little bit of a drive, even if you'd rather not to, even if the Seahawks are playing at 10, right? There are reasons to go to church and we can model that to our kids. Sharing the gospel. I'm going to touch on that a little bit later in one of my personal stories, but it's important for us to be a people who are sharing what Jesus Christ has done in our lives with those around us. That can be family members, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, and then talk about it amongst your kids. Talk to your kids with godly advice and wisdom. In other words, when they're doing something wrong, maybe, and you have to uh, correct them, when you talk to them naturally about what God desires for their life, you are modeling a behavior that says God's word is important, and we're going to live as best that we can by the principle set in there. So those are just a few. Those are five or six different ways we can be modeling that. So the best thing you can do for your parenting just like last week when Dave and I preached on marriage, um, he had the, the, the whiteboard up here and he drew the half circles again, the target looking thing that two weeks ago we had out on the floor here, right? The best thing you can do in your parenting is to live closely to the source of all wisdom and that's Jesus Christ, right? Remember the target right there in the middle, right? And close to, to Jesus is all the wisdom, right? And you want to live in that area. The further you get out, you get towards what the world will say is important or what the world says is okay. We want to stay close to that source of wisdom. God is in the middle. Gravitate towards him. Run towards him. Know him. Know his ways. Know his word. Secondly, and, and, and I would say just as important, a truly devoted disciple of Jesus will live in integrity, right? And in this verse, we see that uh, the righteousness, all the things that we can do to help us grow in that, they're going to live in integrity. That's the second part of this verse here. And, and what we do in our life matches what we say and what we believe, and that is important. If we're truly trying to live towards the center in relationship with God, relationship of Je- with Jesus Christ, um, our lives should reflect that. A man, a woman of integrity, integrity is about the things that Jesus was about. So as you read the Gospels, what do we see Jesus doing? Loving the destitute, living above reproach, meeting needs, and pointing others towards God. Those are the things that Jesus was about. That's what we should be about. So let me ask you this. Does your church attendance match your commitment to Christ and thus his church, the church bride, right? So not just the Grace Works in DuPont, but the church universal, right? Does your attendance match that? Are you modeling that? Are you quick to forgive in your life? 
Are you, fr- are you, are you uh, one of those people that forget because you've forgiven? Or do you remember even if you said you forgive? Right? Are we people who know that we've been forgiven much and so we are willing to forgive whether it's our children or somebody else that has done something against us? Because if we do forgive them, then again, we have an opportunity to model that to our children. Are you quick to apologize when you miss the mark, both to God and to others? Or do you dig your feet in, even though you know you're wrong, and you're not willing to say, hey, I was wrong, I apologize? Do you seek holiness in your words, your actions, in your thoughts? Are you generous to others? Are you generous to your church with your time and your talents and your treasures? Do your kids understand your giving practices to your church, to charities, to those other people that God has placed in your life? Do you love your wife as Christ loved the church? Sacrificial love. Do you respect your husband? All of these things are constantly being watched by your little ones. There is no doubt that the children parrot the behavior of their parents. I would call modeling the informal training of your children's hearts, right? You're not sitting them down and teaching them, but they are seeing it and they are being affected in the way that they will think about things and the, the way that they will live. And there are multiple situations every single day where you can bring up God's word, right? And his wishes into conversation with your kids. We must take the time to discuss these things with our kids as they happen. It's very important. Do you ever feel angry in the car, right? This was something I had to kind of like think about myself. Road rage, right? Have you done something at some point while your kids were observing in the back seat? I know I have, okay? I won't ask for any other hands. We'll just talk about that. Why not discuss anger at that moment or when you're thinking about it once you get home? Hey, daddy was wrong. The way I acted in response to what that car did was not right. I should have been patient. I should have been kind. I should have uh, uh, given you an example of how I should have responded in the proper way Will you forgive me? Will you learn from that with me? Will you hold me accountable? These are things that as parents, we can and should say to our children, right? Discussing anger, self-control, all of those things. Has your child ever come home and said, hey, I'm struggling with school or I'm struggling at school, maybe even tempted to blame other kids or, or teachers, right? Instead of saying, hey, this is an opportunity for me to talk to you about the benefit of hard work. And how you have learned to press on when things get tough. Or as the kids got older and even now in college, um, the idea of having a professor that you don't necessarily care for. You don't, you don't necessarily mesh. You don't like the way they teach or you don't even necessarily uh, see a lot of positive things in there. Can you encourage your child along that, hey, you are there, you are there to add to the class and you are there to learn, right? And there is something that you can learn from this situation. We can model that to our kids. Kevin and I talked about a lot of things this week. We were trying to just figure out what nuggets we could share with the church body because it's so important to understand that you are modeling things to your children all the time. And and there were two specific situations that I will go through pretty quick, as quick as I can, that came to my mind when we were discussing this this week, when I was writing down some notes, um, some things that I tried to model in front of my four children, or our four children, Gwen and I. One of them was sharing faith with others, the gospel. As I worked outside the home in my career before pastoring, I was with Costco for almost 20 years, I was blessed to have a job that allowed friendships to be cultivated. Uh, I still am in touch with a lot of the guys that I met during that time, and they are friends of mine. It's incredible, right? And I, I loved getting to know others who, who lived lives marked by their faith in the workplace. That was so encouraging to me. 
And I loved that. And we had that bond, right? But I also um, loved watching others who hadn't found Jesus yet. They were pre-Christian, right? Uh, I loved having the opportunity to share my faith, the good news of Jesus Christ, with those who had not yet placed their faith in God. Then I could come home to my family and talk about those experiences. I I was able to see a few different friends over the years that I was there come to know Jesus Christ for the first time, place their faith in Jesus Christ, and then their family to be affected, and and their wife to come to know Jesus Christ, and then that being now passed on to their children. Again, not by any crazy special words that I spoke to them, but by living out my faith. And I thank God for that all the time. I truly do. Those are things that obviously I wanted to talk to my children about and get excited about as a family. It was first-hand experience of gospel change in people's lives that I knew only because I went to the same Costco building and worked with them. It was awesome. And I had those experiences then to share with my children. One of the families even we've vacationed with, right? They, he, uh, my friend came to know the Lord. He brought his family along uh, and, and we were able to go on a vacation with him. I mean, this is just really cool stuff because of the gospel. The other way was how we dealt with money. Okay, uh, we had, we had uh, a practice of making sure that we talked about the mistakes that Gwen and I made very candidly in front of our kids, age appropriately, of course, but allowed for our, Gwen and my, four kids to learn from our failures in the area of finances early on in our marriage, right? And to see that being redeemed by God and used for our kids as real life examples. These are areas we screwed up and this is how you can do better. We hope that our our kids learn from those stories and we'll use those tools uh, that we have found uh, freedom through, financial freedom based on the wisdom of the Bible applied to our budget, right? And so modeling sometimes is painful, but it's worth it. And it's the best way, or it's, it's definitely one of the, well, it's, it's the best way, I think, to impart knowledge for, for your children to see that in your life. So if you're like me, and you know you don't always hit the mark of righteousness, take comfort in knowing that you can still walk in integrity by sharing your failures with your children. Are you the kind of people who are willing to start doing that, stepping forward, using yourself as the example, not only for the positive, but also for the areas that you fail? Proverbs has shown us that we need to walk righteously and in integrity before our kids. We need to model well. This is the informal training. We should probably also address more of a formal training, and that comes through proactive instruction. Instruct well. Let me show you why I think this is important. We'll start with a couple of verses here. Proverbs 22, 6. Uh, it's, it's a popular verse. You probably have heard it before. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, before we go too far, we need to acknowledge again, this is the type of promise or proverb that a lot of us wish was a promise. Right, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Dave did that. That proverbs are not promises; it's wisdom. Right? These are if you do this, this will probably happen. It doesn't mean that it always will happen. Right? There's not a guaranteed result, even though we would like that. Proverbs aren't laws, nor are they guarantees. That being said, they are the way of wisdom. So I believe the general result would hold true. But we need to acknowledge that, that there are parents, even parents sitting here today, of uh, adult children or even teen children that are in the midst of pain right now because their kids have walked away from their faith. To those in that place, our heart aches with you. We continue to pray with you that your children will return and find the joy of thriving relationship with Jesus. 
But we do find hope in this verse, even if we didn't see it played out in our life. We know that this is a proverb. It's a general truth. This is what we've done. And even if our children maybe aren't living with the Lord right now, walking with the Lord right now, we know that we can continue on training our children, modeling them, right, Uh, to them. We can continue on and pray that this will be the ultimate result. This is our goal for our children. For those of you who are here that still have kids in your home, let's not forget the first part of this wisdom saying, right? Train up a child. As amazing as a church's kids ministry is, and I love what they're doing in there and how they're teaching your kids, and thank you so many of you that are sitting here are volunteers and you're in there teaching our kids, we appreciate that. The primary responsibility for training of your children is you. It's great to have a church that comes alongside you. It's great to have friends that believe the same that come alongside you and help in that, but it is on you. It's our responsibility as a parent. This is especially true if your kids are in the public school system, like our four were, right? There's a war for our kids' hearts, minds, and souls going on every day, right? And in some ways, it's scary because I think the culture is winning. Now, before we get too much further into this, on a side note, I need to, I'm also grateful for teachers. If you know me, you know that's true. I am grateful for believers who are teachers and working in the public schools. Like I talked about earlier, my dad was a teacher, Mount Tahoma, 30 years. My mom spent time in the public school before she went into some private school before her retirement, right? My daughter, Abby, who's here, I think, helping out Gwen with the food right now. She is a senior at PLU. She is student teaching here at Chloe Clark where she went kindergarten through third grade, right? She is, she wants to be a teacher in the public school. Cole, my youngest, has expressed a desire to become a math teacher and a coach, right? I mean, I want teachers in the school that are going to have positive influences on your children and children to come. So don't hear me say that the public schools are bad. That is not what I'm saying. I mean, my wife's not a teacher, but she works for the school district. You and I need to commit to instructing our kids, and if you're not married with kids, our friends' kids, right? Because we can help out. Mentors are great in their lives. But we also need to commit to praying for those that are in education. Every Sunday morning when you walk in here, I hope you're reminded to pray for the teachers that come here every single day to teach our children. There are some incredible ones. And then there are some that, some that are here that still need to grow, whether as teachers or even in, in their own personal life. But we can be praying for those people. But back to our parenting. Uh, the second verse there, Proverbs 1, 8 to 9, encourages the precious children that are reading to hear their father's instruction and not forsake their mother's teaching. Look at what it says. Hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake, forsake not your mother's teaching for they are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. There's great beauty and grace found in the young person who listens and respects their parents' wisdom. I'm going to say that again for the children who are sitting in here. There is a beauty in a child listening to their mom or their dad and the instruction that is being given to them. Are you, young people, teenagers and pre-teenage, are you asking for your parents' counsel, right? Or have you been tempted to believe what your peers say over what your parents say? I know we've all been tempted to that, right? We've all had, when we were kids, those friends who always seemed to know better than our parents. But then again, if you think about it, your peers have only lived as long as you have. And your parents, look at them, they're old. Er, older is what I meant to say, er. Right? They've lived a lot longer than your friends have. Trust your parents. I know there will be times you'll be frustrated with them, but trust them. They love you. Right? Listen. Look at what the Bible says. Hear my son. And that could say or daughter. 
to your father's or mother's instruction, right? Listen to it. Don't forsake your mom's teaching, your dad's teaching. We need to learn from our parents' successes and their mistakes. They're giving us these examples. And this, this verse here says your parents' word will be like graceful garland for your head and a pendant for your neck. I, I do need to give a hard word, though, to some of us parents, right? These verses assume that there is some instruction, some teaching in our homes. I think many of us are not instructing our kids. We're just not. We're barely making it through the day, right? And we need to get to a place where we're proactively instructing our kids. We can't just hope it's going to happen. Well, I hope they have a good teacher, and that teacher can, you know, not only teach them math and history and English, but also give them some life lessons. No, we need to be doing that. It's not going to happen by osmosis. We might even agree with this, right? If I was talking to you, you're like, yeah, I agree with that concept, but weeks, right, turn into months, and months turn into years, right? Busy schedules, they go by, and we lose so much time. We got to realize, my youngest, again, like I said, I'm going to keep going back to my children because that's the story I know. He's 18. I have him for like seven more months. And then he's going off to college. He's going off to school. Right? These years have flown by. And I'm not sad. I'm glad. I'm glad that they happened. I love everything that has happened. And we've learned from some hard times and we've celebrated some incredible times. So I'm not looking back and regretting, but I want to encourage you guys today. It will go by quickly. So ask yourselves, do we have a strategy for training our children? Are you and your husband, you and your wife, are you proactively strategizing ways to train? And if you are, are, are alone in this battle because your spouse has really no interest in it or no interest in the gospel, I'm still talking to you. That means you got to shoulder more of the load. you got to rely on other friends who can invest in your kids. Have I put thought into what my kids need to learn from me rather than from the culture around them? The culture will want to teach them. So you need to decide what you want to teach them differently. Have I read any good parenting books ever or since what to expect when you're expecting, right? I mean, have you pulled out a, a book and invested time by reading and studying so that you could teach your kids. Have I asked older parents, right? Look around the room. There's some of us with the gray hair, right? What they did to raise their children. Especially if you look at them and say, those are the kind of kids I want to have. Gwen and I remember back at Emmanuel, a couple different families where we looked at them and said, that is what I want. And so we went after them. Hey, Can we take you to coffee? Can we take you to dinner? Will you come over to our house and have dinner and talk to us? How can we raise our children like you raised yours? I'm telling you, there are people out there that want to help you out. What does my child's soul need to learn before it's too late? The old adage is 100% true in this case. If you fail the plan, you plan to fail. I know that's not a biblical proverb, but it is wisdom nonetheless. Bottom line, if we have any hope of the children not departing from the faith when they're older, we must instruct our children. You and I, we can't think that the the 20 minutes, the half hour that they're in Sunday school, okay, Mark's preaching, the 40 minutes, 45 minutes in Sunday school a week is going to be enough, right? We need to do that for them. Make a plan for the formal and the informal training of your children's heart. And that brings us to the third and final, discipline well. Discipline well. The third and final area we're going to be looking at today as we gain wisdom in the Proverbs is in regard, uh, is, is in regards to discipline. How do we as parents discipline our children? If our goal as parents is to model well in front of our children and to instruct well what it looks like to be a Christian, We need to not only show them through our actions and teach them with our words, but we also need to bring correction when they come up short, when they rebel, 
when they sin, right? Proverbs talks about this, so we're going to talk about it. We're not going to just skip it, okay? So let's move forward here. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Proverbs twenty two fifteen. folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Now you can easily see the juxtaposition between folly and wisdom in these two verses. It is a fundamental truth, right? A, a child left to himself will go straight towards folly. We all acknowledge that we are born into this world with a sin nature, or at least the majority of us would know that, believe that, and agree with that, right? Nobody has to teach a child. If you've got a kid of any age, right, think back to when they were a baby and a toddler. None of us had to teach our children how to be selfish, stubborn, rebellious, right? They come by that naturally, The world doesn't even have to teach them. You could keep them pent up in your home for the first six months or year or two years, and they're going to know these things, right? I'm not, I'm not telling you anything new here, right? The only way to turn the heart of a child from folly and into a Christ follower who walks with wisdom is discipline. Do you think it's coincidence that the word discipline and the word disciple are from the same root word? As our kids were growing up, Gwen and I wanted to focus our time and energy not just on the kids believing in Jesus or doing certain things and checking boxes, right? Because then it turns into how do I not get caught, But we wanted to see heart change. When that change occurred, we would then see them actually walking with him. That's important. And that's great. As a parent, that is is exciting and that is fun. Changing behavior because of heart change and a desire to be more like Jesus. Now, next time you're reading the Gospels, I want you to focus on how Jesus interacted with his disciples. First of all, they were immersed in a discipleship program. They left everything and they followed him. Walking, talking, sleeping, playing, praying. And all the while, Jesus was instructing them as they went along. But secondly, note how many times Jesus had to rebuke his disciples. And that's just the stories that we know of, right? We can go to this book. We can look through the gospels. We can see all kinds of correction, discipline, if you want to call it, right? That instruction. When they missed the mark, when they missed the point, when they missed out, Jesus knew he had to discipline, rebuke, Reproof, right? Correction. His discipline through reproof was never mean. Okay? We can learn from that. It wasn't impatient. He didn't insult them or berate them. Parents, be listening. Those are things that we shouldn't be doing when we discipline our children. Jesus always took the time to stop whatever he was doing and clearly explain what they missed how they missed the mark, how they were wrong, and how they should react in the future. Is that true of our discipline with our children? You can see where I'm going with this, can't you? Right? Raising children is discipleship. At least that should be our aim. But the discipleship program that God lays out in his word doesn't only include reproof, does it? No, it says The rod of discipline. Now, this is one of those things where Kevin and I put a lot of prayer into this because we want to speak delicately to this, right? It's not a popular thing to say, right? And, 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 and it could be even difficult to read God's word, uh, sometimes and to hear that, but we can't just ignore that it's in there, right? Discipline with consequence is for your children. Now, don't shut me out because I've said this or, or stop listening to my heart. Um, you know, if this is kicking something around in your brain, I'm not judging you today if you think differently. And I pray that you won't judge me on my interpretation of God's word either, 
right? Let's just have this conversation and, and continue on, right? I understand that there are caveats, that every child is different, okay? They're going to respond differently to different kinds of discipline. I acknowledge that. But discipline needs to happen nonetheless, right? And if you had a sinful abuse in your home growing up, that will definitely shape how you view these things. I want to acknowledge that. If your mom or if your dad or if somebody else, an uncle, an aunt, a, a grandparent, whoever it might have been, if they abuse, excuse me, abuse you in discipline, I am sorry that that took place. I'm truly sorry that you had to go through that. And I acknowledge that's going to affect the way you raise your children. The goal of discipline, no matter what it ends up looking like, is to teach wisdom. Wisdom says that when we uh, live a life of holiness, that it is just plain better. If you can live a life of holiness, it's going to be better for you, better for us, better for others, better for our relationship with God. Wisdom says that in general, it is less painful to obey than to disobey. My goal as as a parent was to teach my children this truth. I need to create boundaries and consequences that teach my children that it'll be more painful for them to disobey. And I need to praise and reward obedience. Now, if you just can't spank your child or or do that sort of discipline, right? What are you going to do to reinforce this concept? Those are real questions that you need to ask You need to go to the mentors in your life. You need to read about. You need to study. You need to pray. You need to have conversations with your spouse. There needs to be clear boundaries set in your home and a clear expectation of obedience. Are there consequences for sin in your home? And are they clear and effective? I mean, obviously, at a certain age, spanking is no longer effective, right? Discipline has to change as the children grow, right? Gwen and I had to strategize what's appropriate for disobedience when they turn 18 and are still living in our home. That's going to look a little bit different than when they were two or when they were seven or when they were 10, right? And we have to be proactive in that, in our thought process. Parenting means that there are clear rules and clear consequences for breaking those rules, Couple more verses just real quick. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. This is truth. When I don't follow through on discipline, I'm showing a lack of love for my child. I don't know if you've even processed that through before, but hear me and know it's the truth. If you don't discipline your children, you I'm not telling you you don't love them, but I'm showing them your actions are not loving them. For them to become the best kids, preteens, teens, and ultimately adults that they should be. Sloppy and haphazard parenting are equated to here hating our sons and daughters. That's tough. That's tough to read. We need to take this seriously. When discipline and love go hand in hand, there is nothing to fear. Uh, I'm old. Okay, I'm 48. I've talked about this before. I was spanked, right? I was spanked. My dad did it correctly. I never once doubted his love. I didn't need counseling when I grew up about that, right? I wasn't afraid of him. I'm still not. I was hugged. I hugged back. I still hug him. He's sitting in the back row here, right? My dad, my dad was a great uh, example to me of discipline and what it should look like. I use that discipline model to me by my dad to train up all four of my kids. It can work. My 24-year-old married will still come home and sit down on the couch next to his mom and lean into her. He'll lay on the couch and put his head on my lap, right? I mean, for those of you who know he's in the Air Force, you might expect that. My point is the child can be disciplined 
and still love you. Understand that it's the best for you, that it breaks your heart to have to train them in that way. Proverbs 19, 18. We're just, the, the worship team is up here. We're almost done here. We've got a couple more quick things I want to say. Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. The younger you start to implement loving discipline in your home, the better. Do it while there's still hope to shape and change their hearts. Neglecting discipline puts them on a path towards spiritual death and possibly even physical death. If they don't understand that there's consequence, they're going to live a real haphazard life. And please allow me just really quickly to exhort you, require obedience to happen the first time it's asked. Obedience after asking for the third time is not obedience. Obedience after I start counting to three is not obedience. And again, I'm speaking out of doing all of these things. I've made the mistakes. And, and, and again, as kids get older, they can understand this better. O- obedience is not after saying, no, thank you. No, thank you. Don't, no, don't, no. Th-. It's telling them what to do and them doing it. Set the standard, then commit to holding the standard. It, it will take time and it'll take energy, but it'll be worth it. You're going to set them up for success in life and relationships. I promise you. Some of you are still struggling with picturing how spanking can be loving or or really even any punishment can be loving. But you can spank your child or correct them or discipline them in a loving way. Again, it's going to be different for every family, but I'm telling you it's possible. And Proverbs 29, 17, I'm going to end on that. It says, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give you delight in your heart. This proverb in a weird, crazy way, late one night brought tears to my eyes because I think about my four children and I'll have one-on-one conversations with any one of you. I can tell you all the ways I've failed, but man, right now I look at my four children and I could not be prouder of where they're at. They all love Jesus. They're working towards uh, a, a discipleship path with their savior. Do they make mistakes? Sure they do. We all do, but I couldn't be more proud. They've given rest to Gwen in my heart. All right, really quick application challenges. Write out ways you can model your faith. These will be online also if you want to take a look at them then. Develop a sustainable routine for family devotions. Get into God's word, model that. Pray with your kids, but make, make it specific to the heart traits you want to develop in them. Be intentional in the way you pray with them. Write out family guidelines. Kevin was going to talk a lot more on that down there because they had kind of guidelines that they posted on their fridge. So they knew if they did this, this was the result and so on and so forth. Maybe that's something you want to do. We can get you some information on that. And then develop a clear plan for consequences. My prayer for you today is that you are not a a parent who just allows things to happen and trusts in other people to train your children, but that you will become the men and women, the dads and moms that God has called you to be. 